Hello and welcome to History for Weirdos. We're your hosts, Andrew and Stephanie. And each week, we're going to take you on a journey into the strange, obscure, and relentlessly entertaining corners of human history. Now listen up, friends, because it's about to get weird. Episode 62 of History for Weirdos. Welcome back, weirdos. We're glad to have you. Always glad to have you. And really excited for this week because I didn't have to do any research. And that's always <laughs> fun. I know. Isn't that funny? That's always my least favorite part. Is I know. Like, researching is cool. But the writing. But I putting think. it together in a way that will hopefully entertain people is... The hard part. That's like neither of us, like that's not neither of our strong suits, but it's just like, it's one of those things where we really love this podcast and it's even like the crappiest part of the podcast is still like amazing to do. That's very true. Yeah. That's very true. Even the hard stuff is so worth it because we have this amazing community and this is always so fun to do, but I'm just a little bit biased for the weeks where I get to kind of sit back and it's like story time for me. And then I just get to react to the research. And it's story time for you guys every week. Yeah. Except you guys do give us ideas. Yes. We appreciate that so much. Your ideas are always welcome. You can email or message us on Instagram. The email is historyforweirdos at Gmail. And we're on Instagram at historyforweirdos. We prefer Instagram, just to be honest. Yeah. We're better at answering on Instagram. Not perfect, far from it, but better in general. Yes. It's a work in progress. Yeah, a work in progress. <laughs> we will get better, we promise. It's definitely a, a constant resolution, not even going to be a New Year's resolution. <laughs> yeah. But in addition to all of that, I did want to mention that you will notice a little change in our, or maybe a few changes in our show notes this week and moving forward. But the two changes that I wanted to bring up to you all is we have two affiliate links that we really thought about. Uh, for this specific community and this audience. Number one affiliate link that you'll see is BarkBox, which was Stella insisted on it. Mm -hmm. She was like, I'm the mascot of the show. You guys need to rep me better. She loves BarkBox. We hope you and your furry loves love BarkBox as well. And then second is NordVPN, which is an amazing, amazing source to have a virtual private network. And that has a ton of benefits to it, but one of them being my favorite, which is that you can watch Netflix from different countries. Right, exactly. So you can get their library, like if you live in the United States, you can get their English library, or even yeah. their like their Indian library if you so choose. Yes, exactly. Um, so which is amazing because then it automatically just increases the content you can consume, which is I guess both a good and bad thing. Yeah, but it's I mean, yeah, bad. but it's also great for security and privacy. Purposes. Right, I mean that's like the point of it is that <laughs> <laughs> is that it provides like a great like security buffer, so it's way harder to get hacked, way harder to lose your information and data. So, which in today's day and age is of like paramount like oh importance. Oh my gosh, absolutely. So we just wanted to share a little bit of that with you all. Like I said, if you're interested in either of those things, we do we use these services and we have. Since we love them, we thought you all would love them. And we have links for those in the show notes. And like we said, these are affiliate links. But we just wanted you all to have access to that. 
And without further ado, Andrew, my love, it is your week. What mm. are you going to tell us about? Well, I'm glad you mentioned the affiliate links. That was like the first thing that I had in my notes, so thank you. Of course. Um, but weirdos and Stephanie, you're a weirdo. Exactly. I'm definitely one of the weirdos. <laughs> definitely. We're going to continue the trend of covering spooky tales this week. This time, I will say this one's a little bit, this one's just more weird than spooky, but it's still a little bit spooky. Okay. Because um, it feeds into mass paranoia. Dun, dun, oh, dun. sick. That's great. This time, the tale took place where we live in our hometown of Los Angeles, California, actually. And this was during the beginning of the U.S. involvement during World War II. Oh, wow. Yes. And before we can jump right into our story, we have to do just a little bit of background coverage first. So, December 7th, 1941. That date should just, mm-hmm. like, you know, should have just sirens going off in your head. Mm-hmm. If it doesn't, here's some brief coverage. This was the day that the Japanese Imperial Fleet attacked Pearl Harbor. The attack had major implementation, implications, implications <laughs> as this prompted the U.S. to enter World War II and eventually shift the tide of the conflict. Mm-hmm. One thing I do find interesting is how flawed and ultimately catastrophic the Japanese intelligence was for this attack. Um, this is not really part of the story, but I was doing just a teeny bit of research mm-hmm. on, like, you know, it was just like, of course I know what, like, Pearl Harbor was, but I just want to do a little bit more research. Um, and it was really interesting because, very long story short, they targeted battleships instead of aircraft carriers and other vessels, thinking that, like, you know, ultimately this war, especially the Pacific War, would come down to battleships, and it never really did. Yeah. Um, this was ironic given that it would be the aircraft carriers, especially, that would push Japanese forces back in the Pacific Theater and ultimately win the war for the U.S. and the Allies. That's really interesting. Yeah, very, very interesting, like, very strong, like, very flawed and strange uh, right. we tactics. Just, we just learn, obviously, about the tragedy portion of it, but not that it was, like, a flawed right. strategy. They had a very flawed strategy from the beginning. And even then, they they, uh, they targeted eight battleships in Pearl Harbor, and, like, six of them eventually were just, were still good enough to fight. Oh. Yeah. So it was like, they sunk one, one was resurrected, but never deployed. So it was like, it was pretty, I mean, thousands of Americans lost their lives. So that was, you know, one thing, but it was more of like, they just rattled the hornet's nest as opposed to like extinguishing the hornets, you know? Gosh, that's such a good way of saying it. Yeah. I didn't even say that was actually a Japanese admiral that said that. Oh, really? Yeah. Mm. Um, But anywho, since the attack isn't really the topic of conversation of this episode, just more of like a FYI, I'm not going to go into it any further than that. Um, just some random, interesting food for thought. And we should have this in our minds. Yes, this in our minds and this next thing. Um, is that there is another incident also that took place about two and a half months after Pearl Harbor that just deserves like a very quick mention. It was on the evening of February 23rd, 1942. Um, a Japanese submarine shelled the Elwood oil field just about a dozen miles away from santa barbara california Mm -hmm. and the shelling did very very minimal damage there was less than ten thousand dollars worth of damage in today's 2022 dollars okay but it was intended more of like a psychological attack oh Um, it was just to rattle people right Mm -hmm. as this was the first time in over a hundred years since the war of 1812 that a foreign power would attack the u.s mainland Oh, so it was a big deal. That is a big deal. It's a That's really, really big deal. interesting. This was a big blow to the like psyche of the American public. Yeah, and just served to terrify the populace. Yeah. 
So this brings up it brings us to the events of the following night, the topic of today's story. Ooh. Yes, and this was the evening of February 24th, 1942, Los Angeles, California. So that day, the Office of Naval Intelligence issued a warning that an attack on the U.S. West Coast was imminent um, and that the, the attack from Japanese forces would commence sometime during the next, like, 10 hours. Okay. Why they chose 10 hours, I don't know. Uh, an initial warning was issued at 7.18 p.m., and after hours of no activity, the warning was rescinded at 10.23 p.m. This is all in Pacific time, by the way. A few hours after that, in the early morning of February 25th, it really starts to hit the fan. And I'm just going to read a small excerpt from The Air Defense of the Western Hemisphere, um, which is a which is a chapter of a book that I'll, I'll mention on later. Okay. It's like a, it's a chapter. Is like, it's almost like a book within a book. Oh, wow. Um, but the summary is really good and succinct. So, and this is in quotes. Radars picked up an unidentified target 120 miles west of Los Angeles. Anti-aircraft batteries were alerted at 2.15 a.m. and were put on green alert, ready to fire a few minutes later. The Army Air Force kept its pursuit planes on the ground, preferring to await indications of the scale and direction of any attack before committing its limited fighter force. Mm -hmm. Radars tracked the approaching target to within a few miles of the coast, and at 2.21 a.m., the regional controller ordered a blackout. Thereafter, the information center was flooded with reports of enemy planes, even though the mysterious objects tracked in from the sea seemed to have vanished. At 2.43 a.m., planes were reported near Long Beach, and a few minutes later, a coast artillery colonel spotted about 25 planes at 12,000 feet over Los Angeles. Oh, wow. At 3.06 a.m., a balloon carrying a red flare was seen over Santa Monica, and four batteries of anti-aircraft artillery started to open fire, whereupon the air over Los Angeles erupted like a volcano. What the phalanges? I know, especially since you're from Santa Monica. I thought like that was interesting. They, they specifically mentioned Santa Monica as like with the aircraft and or anti-aircraft batteries just like opening fire. Wow. Also, Santa Monica, best place ever. If you haven't been, you should go. I know. I think you're <laughs> slightly biased. Just, but anyways. <laughs> okay, I'm really intrigued. What the hell was happening yeah it, it just just like you just sit back i'm not gonna say anything because i think me the way this narrative unfolds is just like like stranger and stranger basically the los angeles times wrote powerful searchlights from countless stations stabbed the sky with brilliant probing fingers while anti-aircraft batteries dotted the heavens with beautiful if sinister mm. Orange bursts of shrapnel. Ooh, wow. I know, that was really good writing. Very good writing. Yeah. That LA Times person deserved a raise. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're dead by now, but, you know. Oh my gosh. <laughs> the scene was utter chaos, yet many civilian eyewitnesses could not see anything in the sky except for anti-aircraft ordnance. However, others claimed that Japanese aircraft were flying in formation, dropping bombs, and even releasing paratroopers. Okay, but there would be evidence of that. I'll get to that. One report even stated that a downed Japanese aircraft crashed into the middle of Hollywood Boulevard. Okay, definitely. (laughs) That would be pretty noticeable. (laughs) Yeah. Charles Patrick, a coastal artilleryman, wrote later in a memoir that, quote, I could barely see the planes, but they were there all right. 
I could see six planes and shells were bursting all around them. Naturally, all of us fellows were anxious to get our two cents worth in, and when the command came, everybody cheered like a son of a gun. <laughs> Such an old man. I thing know. To say. And I was like, like a son of a gun. Get it? Yeah. Get it? Get it? Because they're firing their guns. Get it? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Anyways, the shelling would continue on and off until 4.14 a.m. when a ceasefire was ordered, and then the all clear was finally issued at 7.21 a.m. on February 25th, 12 hours after the original warning was issued the night before. Right. Which was in the next 10 hours something might happen. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So all, and that was within like the 10 hours basically. All in all, over 1,400 anti-aircraft shells were fired. Five people even died during this attack. Three from car accidents and two from heart attacks. But none from any Japanese bombardment. Because it sounds like to me, it's just the U.S. here in Los Angeles just shooting into the sky, right? Because they see lights? Is that it? Well, we'll get to that in just a moment. Okay. But that's so sad that people died from car accidents. Car accidents and heart attacks. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. So the incident made front front page news nationwide because, of course, right? Yeah. Yeah. And here's the startling thing. And you... You correctly assume this. After all of that, there was zero, and I mean zero evidence, that the Japanese had any aircraft even remotely close to Los Angeles during this time. Oh, shit. Zero evidence. In fact, even after the war and Japan's unconditional surrender, they very explicitly stated that they never had any aircraft near LA at any point during the war, let alone during the night and morning of February 24th and 25th, respectively. Right. And, and they like admitted that to everything else. Like, they admitted everything. And that they're like, nope, that was, we had nothing. Yeah. And at that point, what, you have nothing to lose by just saying that. Exactly. And even the U.S. military, immediately after the incident, gave conflicting reports of what had actually happened. Secretary of the Navy Frank Knox, for instance, dismissed the firefight as a false alarm brought on by, quote, jittery nerves, end quote. Uh, by like everyone in Los Angeles? Yeah, by thousands of people. <laughs> so he's, this, I mean, without the term, he's essentially claiming like mass hysteria? Pretty much, yeah. Like everyone hallucinated the same thing? Yes. Okay. Well, don't worry. We'll, we'll get to, we'll, we'll get to it. We'll get to Jittery like some nerves. Yeah. Um, also, Secretary of War Henry Stimson echoed other top army officials at the time saying that there were at least 15 planes that had buzzed like the city even he even admitted mm. the provocative theory that the phantom fighters might have been commercial aircraft quote operated by enemy agents end quote hoping mm. to strike fear into the public okay so secretary of war and secretary of the navy very different very different stories okay secretary of war by the way is now the secretary of defense mm-hmm. that's just what it was called back then he would even back later backpedal his claims on this, but mm. there were still thousands of military servicemen and civilian eyewitnesses who had claimed to see something. Mm-hmm. So according to the New York Times, some eyewitnesses had spied, quote, a big floating object resembling a balloon, yeah, end quote, a balloon. while others had spotted anywhere from one plane to several dozen planes. Oh, gosh. So this begs the question, what in the heck of hooey caused this to happen? Yeah. So now, of course, 
I want this to be aliens because, you know, it's history for weirdos <laughs> after all. And, you know, immediately after there is, and you can Google this, there is a LA Times, like, front page picture mm-hmm. of, like, like at least, like, half a dozen spotlights illuminating one thing. And it looks to be, like, you know, a flying saucer. But, like, one of the, but, you know, it's been quickly dismissed that it's not actually the case because... They heavily, during those times, like, because they were all black and white photos, they would, like, heavily doctor it. Oh, yeah, yeah, And so yeah. it's not, like, an actual, like, good representation of what the actual picture was. Yeah. And it's it's very blurry anyway. So it's kind of, like, you could say it is, but, like, it could also be, like, a million other things. could be nothing. It's really hard to tell. It's so blurry. Um, but, you know, sadly, I don't think that ex- this is any case of extraterrestrial aircraft. Uh-huh. And I'll get into more. Um more of it in a second but before you know i i go down that rabbit hole i just want to point out that it's not like me saying like oh like i'm automatically discounting ufos at all right um and to be fair there are very strange incidents that have occurred at other times in which there are no easy explanations you know obviously the one that comes to mind specifically is that ufo sighting in western michigan in march of 1994 yeah um and i'm not going to go into it but if you want a really good recap of it i suggest that you watch Season 3, Episode 2 of the show Unsolved Mysteries on Netflix, um, as they do a really good job covering it. And it they, like gives like a 45-minute, like... They do a really good yeah. job. We love Unsolved Mysteries. The Netflix one, I don't, I've never seen the original show. Yeah, me neither. And that, that's like, I think because of that, that was what I initially thought of. Right. Um, but that Michigan site is nuts. Totally go check it out, weirdos. You would love yeah, it. Yeah, I don't want to go down the that rabbit hole. Like, definitely not go down that rabbit hole. But it is really wild. And, like, that is, like, there's just no logical explanation. And the only thing that even makes a remote sense is so wild that... Yeah, basically what you're trying to say is we don't want the weirdos to think we don't believe right. extraterrestrial stuff. Or even just, like, UFO stuff, right? There yeah. are some things that, like, yeah, they're they literally, like, unidentified flying objects, right? It's just all that means is, like, it's unidentified. We don't know what it is. I'm not saying that it is extraterrestrial. It could be. But it could also not be. It could be some something else. No mm-hmm. idea. But anyways, all I'm saying is to point out that I don't automatically discount UFOs, but I don't believe this was the case here. Boo. I know. So what is the case here, Andrew? <laughs> you sting. Yeah. Well, it's peculiar because it has to do with balloons. <laughs> Weather balloons, to be specific. What? So decades later, in 1983, the U.S. Office of Air Force History concluded that an analysis of the evidence points to meteorological balloons as the case or as the cause of the initial alarm. Wait, this was in 1983? 1983. In 1983, they were still trying to figure out what had happened? They finally figured it out, maybe. I don't know. And it's balloons. It is it is confirmed that these balloons <laughs> had been released prior to the barrage to help determine wind conditions at the time. Their lights and silver color could have been what first triggered the alerts. And once the shooting began, the disorienting combination of searchlights, right? There's no other light mm-hmm. pollution because there's a blackout. Yeah. So there's searchlights and the shooting of the anti-aircraft flak, along with the accompanying smoke, might have led gunners to believe that they were firing on enemy planes, even though there just wasn't anything there. Okay. So initial, like, initial balloon spotted, mm-hmm. people just start kind of going... Trigger, yeah, trigger happy, trigger finger happy. The spotlights is illuminating, you know, the smoke and the air anti-aircraft explosions. People are thinking like probably 
shadows from that are planes, and then it just causes more shooting. Okay. Kind of like a snowball effect. Right. And personally, I do I do think that seeing the anti-aircraft shells burst illuminated by these searchlights at night in the very dark sky could have been easily mistaken for enemy aircraft. Okay. I think it's very plausible that's the case. Um, one story from Los Angeles reporter Matt Weinstock seems to have proven this story. Um, he did an interview with one of the anti-aircraft personnel and the gentleman had this to say about that night. And this is in quotes. Early in the war, things were pretty scary, and the army was setting up coastal defenses. At one of the new radar stations near Santa Monica, the crew tried in vain to arrange for some planes to fly by so that they could test the system. As no one could spare planes at the time, they hit upon a novel way to test the radar. One of the guys bought a bag of nickel balloons and then filled them with hydrogen, attached metal wires, and let them go. Catching the offshore breeze, the balloons had the desired effect of showing up on the screens, proving this equipment was working. But after traveling a good distance offshore and to the south, the nightly onshore breeze started to push the balloons back towards the coastal cities. The coastal radar picked up the metal wires and the searchlights swung automatically on the targets, looking on the screens as aircraft heading for the city. The ack-ack started firing and the rest was history. And I think the ack-ack is the, like, I don't know, anti-aircraft guns. Okay, so I was also, I know you're like really deep into the story, but I was going to clarify. <laughs> what? An anti-aircraft is like a big gun. It's like a real big gun. Okay. It's like one of those, like during World War II, it's like sometimes like you would see the guy seated down Mm -hmm. and they'd like be pulling these like levers and it's like this massive kind of like barrel like moving along that's like hand cranked. Mm -hmm. And then you just hear, and like what it would do is fire these, I know I'm doing, and you guys can't see this obviously, but I'm really into it. I'm like using my hands and stuff. He, He cranked the machine and everything. Exactly. So then it goes, it goes, it fires these massive shells, which then they also explode and release shrapnel okay. to like, kind of like to take down these planes. This puts a lot more into context. I was like, yeah. what's an anti-aircraft? Is it like a little aircraft? Is it like oh, the yes. enemy of an aircraft? Yeah. It's, it's like, we don't like aircraft. Yeah. But it's yeah. a gun, which it's I guess is like an gun. enemy of an aircraft. It's a gun <laughs> yeah. that can take down a plane. Exactly. That's okay. exactly what it is. So... Interestingly, though, this panic did inspire the Japanese to use the quote-unquote Fugo balloon bombs later in the war, but these did very little damage and ironically did not cause nearly the same level of fear as the phantom balloon attack did on L.A. So basically, if you don't know what I'm talking about, these were essentially these like large hydrogen-based balloons that were laden with explosives and were released in Japan and floated for days across the Pacific to the mainland U.S. in order to start, like, forest fires and cause panic. Oh, yeah. Um, it but didn't they didn't work. do a lot of damage. It did very little damage. They, like, released hundreds, I think, or maybe even thousands, and it oh did gosh. very little damage. Um, and so, my dear weirdos, let me ask you this. Was the L.A. panic, the Battle of Los Angeles, as it's called... Was this a case of balloons causing unnecessary panic, destruction, and deaths? Or was it aliens? You tell me. The fact that it might be balloons is more absurd to me than aliens. <laughs> yeah, and it's 
probably balloons, to be honest. So in a way, the Navy guy, the Secretary of the Navy, he was a little bit correct in thinking, like, the jittery nerves, right? Like, it was such a high-stress time that people were very quick to assume worst case scenario was happening yeah and and i think he is in part correct but also in part it was like this was like very early radar was Mm. being used and like people i mean i know for a fact that like sometimes whales were mistaken on radar for like japanese like submarines oh my god so like i mean this like it was way off so like there were tons of false positives right that's interesting i i hadn't considered that context as well i was like well can't they see What's up there? I guess not. Right. We take our very advanced technology for granted sometimes. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, that's that's the story of the Battle of Los Angeles, as it's called. That's what it's called? That's what, yeah, it's kind of tongue-in-cheek. There's even a movie made about, like, ten years ago. It was terrible, but it was, uh, like, an alien attack, and the movie is called The Battle of Los Angeles, (laughs) Um, and they attack Los Angeles unsurprisingly i would not recommend watching it but it was based off this event like in a weird sort of way that's so interesting yeah i'm sure people in la i mean was la super populated in the 40s i mean sort of but not like like it is today obviously not like it is today but relatively for the time i think I think by the, I don't really know. I know by the in the 20s, it like wasn't. That's when it started like blowing up. But I don't yeah. think it hit him. I don't know. It, it Like, yes and no. I think it was it was definitely like decently populated, but not like. Because today, obviously, it's very, it's, very highly populated. So it is unfortunately an area that would be targeted. Right. Because of how densely populated it is. And obviously, at that time, with the threat of the japanese government and everything right i think it makes sense that people were scared exactly i also think it's kind of ironic too that it's like it happened here in la where like the motion picture like industry really started Mm. yeah and like it's kind of like the it was all an illusion just like how movies are an illusion because we're all so dramatic dun 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 wow that was really interesting definitely a perfect story for history for weirdos (laughs) i know right because even it got even weirder when it's like aliens no big balloons in the sky (laughs) yeah no weather balloons like it's so absurd i'm definitely people die because of this because of weather balloons maybe or like nickel plated balloons i don't even know what that means i'm absolutely going to post a picture of like a 1940s weather balloon on our instagram definitely because we all must see what these look like absolutely as as you should as you should as we should but anyways, the sources for this week's episode, the I, a really interesting book called The Army Air Forces in World War II, Volume 1 by William Gross, mm-hmm. History.com, The California Library, The LA Times, and of course our favorite, Wikipedia. That's awesome, babe. Thank yes. you so much for sharing this story. Absolutely. And thank you, weirdos, as always, for listening. I have said this before, but I will say it again. Please share this episode with another weirdo that you think might enjoy it or leave us a review or a rating. It helps the episode or the podcast, excuse me, uh, grow. And you all have helped us grow so much. So thank you for that. Yeah. Thank you, weirdos. Until next time. Until next time. (laughs) 